Technology is on the rise, and it's time for us dental students to get in the know. Welcome to On the Cusp, a podcast segment of the business of drilling, where students help students learn about dental technology. Welcome back to our On the Cusp panel discussion. My name is Sebastian, and my co-hosts are... Elena. And Rachel. And we are three second-year dental students. We're teamed up with the Debbie Academy, which is a student-run group that aims to educate dental students on financial and business and business literacy. This is the second episode of our new segment, and today we are delving into the world of 3D cone beam computed tomography systems. We are excited to introduce to this month's On the Cusp discussion, Dr. Isaac Barzlay. Dr. Barzlay received his DDS from the University of Toronto, a certificate in prosthodontics from the Eastman Dental Centre in Rochester, New York, followed by a master's degree from the University of Rochester. He is currently head of the Division of Prosthodontics and Restorative Dentistry at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto and is an associate in dentistry at U of T, a professor at George Brown, and an adjunct professor at the University of Rochester. Dr. Barsley is a world-renowned prosthodontist, lecturer, and dental researcher. He's also the founder and CEO of the Build Your Smile Dental Foundation. We reached him through the Prosthodontics Associates Office, which is a private practice in Toronto. So we're very excited for you all to meet him. Um, and with that being said, welcome, Dr. Barsley. Thank you for that lovely introduction. It's an introduction that my father would give and only my mother would believe. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for being here with us today. Um, so I guess to start with, um, if you could please, in your words, briefly describe what 3D CBCT is for us. Well, I think um, we all understand what regular radiography is, and it's basically a two-dimensional view of a three-dimensional object. So through your dental training, you will make PAs and you'll do panoramic films and you will look at flat versions of whatever we happen to have in the mouth. What a 3D image does is it gives you all dimensions. It gives you depth, it gives you height, it gives you width. And you can then truly look around the item that you're looking at. You can look around a tooth. You can look around the sinus. You can look around an implant. And see what's really going on. And that's what this technology allows us to do. It's, it's been around for a while. The concept of tomography has been around for a long time. I remember when I was an uh, undergraduate dental student. That was a long time ago. Uh, they were just researching the concepts of tomography with implant dentistry. They weren't um, computer generated yet. So there was a lot of stuff that had to be done. But today, with computer-based uh, CT technology, it's remarkable what you can get and what diagnostic quality you can get and the treatments you can perform. So it is something that will become or has become a gold standard in many treatments. So going off of that, could you give us an example of a case where you'd use CBCT? I know um, we talk a lot about implants and maybe you could start there with a, a case example for us. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to implants, uh, these days I wouldn't do an implant process or an implant procedure without a CBCT. I believe it's gold standard. I believe if you're doing it with just PAs, 
you're not giving the patient the best possible care that you can give them. Um, so I'm a big believer in CBCTs, even for single implants where everything looks real simple. Well, guess what? All kinds of things happen. So I think it's always best to know what you're getting into before you get there. So all of our implant cases at the office are all done with CBCT. And because they're done with CBCT, we then have an option. We can use guided surgery to help us place the implant without raising flaps. Or if we still really insist on raising flaps and doing it the old-fashioned way, which is totally free-handed, we can do it. But now we have the knowledge of what things actually look like in three dimensions. So implants is a big piece of what we do in, in the practice. And we wouldn't do it without a CBCT. It just wouldn't happen. You mentioned uh, raising flaps. And could you describe a bit more how that works and why with 3D CBCT you wouldn't need to raise flaps? Well, I mean, we all understand the concept that raising a flap means getting the gingiva out of the way so you can see the bone. That's what raising a flap means. And the old way of putting implants in was you raise a flap, visualize the bone, drill a few holes, and put the implant. You know, for lack of better words, that's basically what it is. Well, when you have a CBCT, you know exactly where the bone is and how it relates to the other teeth. So. In fact, using the CBCT combined with some scans, we can make up guides that are positioned over the teeth or over the gingiva. We can lock those guides in place and just drill directly through them and get to where we have to go. So you don't have to raise a flap to get an implant in. Does that mean we never raise a flap? No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. We do occasionally raise flaps. I will tell you that for my own personal cases, 80% have no flaps. When do I raise a flap? When I really need to maintain keratinized gingiva. That's when I raise a flap. Because if you just drill through the tissue, you're going to lose some tissue. Right? So if I really need to keep attached gingiva, or if I think I might be doing a graft at the same time, you know, then I will raise that flap so I can see where I'm going. I can do the graft maintain the attached gingiva, but all of my drilling is done with the assistance of the CBCT. And Mike, it might be getting a little nitty gritty here, but um, which cases specifically would you want to keep the, the keratinized gingiva? Well, you know, I'm, I want to keep the attached gingiva whenever I can, but uh, well, if you can, you know, the Usually in the maxilla, if you have a lot of attached gingiva on the buckle and you've got all that palatal attached gingiva, uh, you can generally go right through the tissue. There's lots of attached gingiva left. In the mandible, if you have a really wide ridge and you're working right on top of that ridge, you normally don't have to worry too much about the attached gingiva. It's when that ridge starts to get narrower and you don't have quite as much attached gingiva as you think you do. That's when you'd rather raise a flap, put the implant in using guided surgery, and then you can close the flap around the implant and still maintain the tissue. So sometimes you do it, sometimes you don't. Um, it's really a case-by-case -case thing. If you were to compare um, how your workflow went for implants prior to use of CBCT versus now, 
Um, what exactly has changed about that workflow? Could you step us through that? Well, the use of the CBCT has completely changed the way we do dentistry. Um, first of all, we have a CBCT on site. So the patient gets all that work done or all that diagnostic stuff done on site. It doesn't mean you have to go and buy a CBCT. You can send the patient to a radiologist and they'll do the CBCT for you and they'll get you the files from the CBCT and then you can use them in different ways. But having everything on site has made a huge difference. And I will tell you that using a CBCT, it has really shown me where you can and cannot place implants. It has really shown me that I can plan my implants many times in much better places than where I was getting them before when I was working with other surgeons. I'm a prosthodontist. I don't like raising flat. I don't like putting in sutures. My shoes don't have shoelaces. You know, I don't like tying knots. And um, if I can do it without it, I love it. Uh, but I'll tell you that I can get implants in exactly where I have them planned because I have the CBCT and because I have the guide. It's totally changed the way we do things. Even, even the surgeons that I have here in the office are doing the CBCT with the guide approach. And we've converted them over. So I think that's pretty cool. I know that you mentioned you have a CBCT on site. Would you say there was a learning curve to adopting using CBCT now as like the gold standard? Um, you know, there's always a learning curve in, in anything that we do from the simplest thing to the most complex thing. Um, when you buy a CBCT these days, it comes with a course that your staff are given and that you're given and how to use it. In addition to that, at least in Ontario, you are required to take a specific course that allows you to use it. I think we're only one of two jurisdictions in North America that require that. I believe it's Ontario and one of the states. I, I don't know which one it is. Um, so in Ontario, you are expected to really understand what it is you're looking at. Uh, yeah, there's a learning curve. CBCTs are not perfect but they're a whole lot better than not having. And um, if a patient says to me, you know, I'd rather you just open things up. I really don't want the CBCT. I'd say, well, you know, I'd rather you go and see somebody else. And that usually ends that discussion, you know. Yeah, there's a learning curve, but it's not a big one. And uh, we do get all of our CBCTs read by a radiologist. So when the radio, you read those reports and you compare it to the CBCTs, you learn pretty fast. You learn pretty fast. And so um, quick question, maybe going back to what you mentioned a bit before in terms of actually having a CBCT on site. Um, what was the reason behind that? Well, you know, we have a large practice. Um, if I add up all the people who can be here in one day, can be up to 30 people. You know, that's a lot of people. And I didn't initially have one on site, but patient, we would send people out just, you know, a mile down the road. And they would go because we sent them there. Uh, but what I found was that patients are must, much more likely to have this kind of work done if you can do everything in one place. They, they, they just are. They're more comfortable 
and we can get all of our answers at once. So in the first appointment, we can do our consultation, we can do a regular PA, we can make an impression or a scan of a patient, and then we can do a CBCT. And before the patient leaves, I can tell them if they're a candidate for a simple placement or for a grafting placement, or if they're not a candidate at all, they don't have to come back for a second appointment to find that out. It's much more convenient and patients appreciate it. So we did it. We, we, we bought the machine. These are not inexpensive machines, but I'll tell you the, the prices have come way down compared to where we started. with this. So if you're going to open up your own practice, it's a small price to pay if you're going to do these kind of treatments. We were curious about the prices. Could you give us a ballpark? Like, what are we talking about for this? <laughs> well, I think when I first looked into it, this is before I bought it, they were running at about a quarter of a million dollars. When we bought it, we bought it at around half that, so about 125 You know, you pay it out over, over five years. It's not that big a deal. Um, now, I'm sure the starting price has got to be below 100 um, it's not that big a deal when you think of a really good intraoral scanner with softwares in the $50,000 range. Um, the CPCT is important if you're going to do the high-end work and you're going to do the implant work. Even other things, you know, endos, it really helps. It really does. Um, it's just one of those things I, I can't imagine being without. We, you know, you get it, you get... Uh, a report done every few years by the Royal College where they investigate your paperwork and do stuff like that. And sometimes when you do that, they'll say, well, you got to answer all these questions before we'll let you use the CBCT. And when you're without that CBCT, even for a few days, uh, you know, you feel naked. It's, it's really something. So it's important. It's part of what we do. It's, it's part of our essence here at the PA. If you had to estimate how many other offices in Ontario have adopted the use of this, um, like what kind of offices do you think are, are using it? Well, an office that's doing a lot of implant work really should have it. And I would guess for the most part they do. If they don't have it, they're going to have to work with a radiologist. I don't know a single radiologist who doesn't have it. We used to send people to the hospital for this stuff. You don't have to do that. Anymore. Most offices need to um, have this if they're going to do implant work. What I do find is what's, what's difficult in Ontario is getting that additional course that teaches you and allows you to use a CBCT. And there aren't many of these courses around, and that's one of the issues. So uh, even in our office here, um, three of us have taken the course and four of us have not. So when I when there's a CBCT to be done, uh, I have to supervise the CBCT. If I'm one of the people who took the course, but the doctor who wants the CBCT has not. So it, it gets a little complicated. But uh, if you're a patient and you're getting implant work done, and especially if it's a big case, and you, you're being told that the office controls everything and there's no CBCT, Run in the other direction, honestly. Do you think because of this 
the course that people need to take in Ontario, do you think CBCT is sort of underutilized? Well, I, I think it's in some ways it's being held back um, from being easily sold and used. You can still utilize it, but it just might not be in your practice. You know, at the end of the day, you need the CBCT, you need the, uh, you need the DICOM files, and then you can take that and do whatever you want with it. So you can still have the program. You just haven't physically done the CBCT. So I don't think it's slowing down what we're doing, but uh, it's not, it's certainly not making it easy. And we're only one of two jurors jurisdictions and if you look at all the jurisdictions in north america what do we have 60 or 70 you know i mean like come on there's got to be a simpler way to do so do you think um coming up soon let's say by the time we finally graduate after a few more years um that this will be more accessible for us is is canada taking or ontario taking some of those steps well i hope so you know, you've got some very good radiologists um, at Western. Um, we've got a new young guy over there. His name's Trevor. Yeah, Dr. Th- yeah, he's just an outstanding speaker. He could easily give a course like this. I would ha- you should approach him and say, do us a favor. Give us your two-day course. We'll pay you to do it. And just get it done before you leave school. Some. Honestly, that will be your best investment. You can tell him I said so. Okay, well, reach out to him. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll have to ask him about that. Yeah. Could you tell us what it is like to image hard versus soft tissues, and um, what CBCT is good at and not so good at? Well, again, CBCT. If you think of the letters, it is a it is tomography. It's computerized tomography, and it is good at looking at hard tissue. That's what it's good at. Soft tissues are tougher to look at. You will pick up some, you'll still pick up soft tissues in a way. You'll pick up soft tissues in the sinus. Um, you, you will pick up soft tissues uh, if you do subtractive CBCTs, meaning you have guides in the mouth and you're doing a CBCT with a guide in place. So the space between the guide and the bone is your soft tissue. But it's really not designed to be used for soft tissue. You want soft tissue, you know, get an MRI done. But uh, it's really for bone. And, and it images bone really well. It will image teeth really well. It especially images teeth if the teeth have no fillings. It's beautiful. It's magnificent. Um, as soon as you put in fillings or crown and bridge or things like that, you start getting some really weird stuff. There's some beam hardening, there's some scatter, and you really have to learn how to deal with that. And that's part of the learning curve. But even so, it's a remarkable technology, and I don't know what I would do without it. How do you feel about the the resolution? Are there any frustrations with, um, even when imaging bone or, or teeth, are there frustrations there with, what you can actually see. Well, you know, when you're doing, you obviously want to give the patient as little radiation as possible. 
So you may give up on a little bit of resolution to reduce how much radiation you're giving as long as you still have diagnostic quality. Um, so th there are multiple settings you can put on a CBCT. The endodontists use a very localized CBCT and they get incredible detail. They pick up cracks and teeth and all kinds of stuff. We don't use that kind of resolution to look at an implant case. We don't need that, right? We don't. So uh, we, we, check, we go in with a slightly different resolution. Um, all the companies will sell you on a CBCT on a case where there are no fillings on the teeth. It looks beautiful, but that's not what we're dealing with half the time. So just be prepared for that one. You're going to wonder, why doesn't my picture look like the one they sold me? Well, you know, the marketing is marketing, right? So, um, but even with resolution issues, you can look at how much cortical bone there is. You can look at how much marrow there is. I often compare the, the um, radio density of the marrow to the radio density of the cheek or the tongue, which will show up in the picture, to try to get an idea of, of how dense is this tissue that I'm going to drill into. You know, sometimes you drill into marrow and there's just nothing there. It's like a sponge. And so it's totally soft tissue. So it gives me an idea of uh, what I'm going to be involved with. It gives me an idea of what kind of drills I need to use. Um, it, it really gives me a lot of information. And you can take it further. You can put your cursor over different areas and get a Hounsfield unit, which is also sort of nice. Do I do that very often? No, I don't. I just compare it to the cheek and I get some idea of what I'm going to deal with. And it works. And it really works. It's uh, quite remarkable. Do you think um, do you think this technology is rapidly evolving? Do you think within the next five ten years we'll have a new and improved three D three CBCT? You know, it, the truth is, it's always getting better. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the computerization part of it gets better and better, and we need less radiation. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the software uh, for this and how you can manipulate the software gets better and better, and then how all of this talks to other digital machines. And that's really the key to all of this. You guys are going to be entering dentistry at a time where there's a lot of digitization. I mean, we're recording this right now in a digital format, and uh, you know we would have never thought about this 10 years ago. So it's, all this has come real fast. And so you guys are in a good place. Uh, and you will understand these technologies much better than us old guys. That's what will happen. But yeah, it's going to get better. I'm sure it will. The machines are still going to have to be a certain size. You know, we still have to stick the patient in there. Um, but the prices will go down some more. And your ability to uh, check these things and see what they're really doing You'll be doing it on your cell phone at that. You know, it'll be easy enough. I know you just mentioned that as 3D CBCT evolves, there might be lower radiation. Do you find that currently um, with CBCT and from the patient perspective, there's hesitation to have 3D CBCT scans done just because of the radiation? 
you're always going to have a patient that's going to say to you, no x-rays. There's always going to be somebody. And it could be for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, I will have maybe one out of 20 patients say, doc, I don't really want any more x-ray. And then I say, well, when I do your work, you want me to stand on one foot and tie one hand behind my back and close my eyes? Or do you want me to know what I'm doing? And that usually answers the question. So I then try to put it in some perspective. I mean, how much radiation really comes from a CBCT? Very little, actually. It's the equivalent of flying across the country. That's the kind of background radiation you're getting, which is nothing. How often do you guys go across country? I love to travel, so I'm always flying someplace. And I don't worry. I don't worry about it. I, you know, I just don't worry about it. Um, and when you tell them that, I think they understand it. That's also when you think of it, what major vital structures are in the area that you're going to see BCT that you're really worried about. We're worried about other parts of the body when it comes to radiation, much more so than, um, you know, the mouth. Yeah, that's a good point. We recently did another, um, podcast interview with, with uh, Dr. Effie Hapsha, and we talked about uh, intraoral scanners. And we're wondering, I guess, do you combine, you know, intraoral scanners with 3D CBCT in your treatment planning and treatment delivery? Well, I'm glad you had a chance to talk with Effie. Um, Effie's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. Uh, she's worked with me for over 20 years. and. She's really taken all kinds of digital stuff, digital technologies to the extreme. And it's amazing what she's able to do. It really is. Um, when it comes to CBCTs, the CBCTs will give us a DICOM file. So the question is, what can you do with it? And we have to combine the DICOM files with an STL. How do you get an STL? Well, you get that from an intraoral scanner. Now, we can scan inside the mouth. So if I'm working at the office with one of Effie's assistants, they're scanning in the mouth for the STL. If I'm working with one of my assistants, they're making an impression. And then we're scanning the cast that comes out of the impression. At the end of the day, with all these technologies, you don't need casts. You can do this without casts if you want to. Um, I prefer to have a cast. So I'll print a cast, again, a digital technology so that I can make sure that everything fits before I ever get to the mouth. So that's what I do. But do we combine it? Yes, we do. We, we combine intraoral scanning or scanning using a standard box scanner. Um, we combine that. Intraoral scanning, I'm, I'm sure she, she mentioned things about it. You know, you can get your shade selections out of it now. Um, you can do partial scans, full scans. I love intraoral scanning for comparing um, the patient's wear patterns between appointments. So you can lay one scan on top of the other and figure out if they've lost tooth structure. You know, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Now, you're not going to get that out of a CBCT. You know, l l l we know that. But combining the different technologies is awesome. And when a patient sits down and they see all these technologies coming at them, their first understanding of you is you're smart. You know, 
that's what they say. They 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 can't they understand it because the person down the street doesn't have the stuff. So with you guys coming out of school soon, you're in a good place to be. You really are. Okay, don't lose those cell phones, okay? I know. Good thing we're proficient in the cell phones and <laughs> online learning. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So just going back to you were saying that sometimes you'd even, let's say, scan and then print um, a cast, a version of the cast, uh, in order to check fit. I actually haven't even heard about that. Um, so what is the rationale for that? Well, the rationale for that is from the scans, I'm going to make up a, a guide. I'm going to make up an implant guide. The implant guide is going to have a ring in it that you glue in place, and then you take this guide to the mouth and you drill through it. Now, depending on your current clinical situation, sometimes the rings or sometimes the guides bind on something. So you'd like to be able to try that in first on something before the patient shows up and your room is ready to be to have surgery done. Um, so I will try it on a printed cast made from the STL file. And my lab will just fine-tune it so it goes right to place, which is really nice. It, it's just an added step that I like to do. Because when I go into an operatory, I expect everything done and ready, and an implant placement really shouldn't take more than five minutes. Um, that's not what always happens, but that's how it should be. In addition to that, because we've got these casts, we have the ability to create temporary restoration in advance of ever putting the implant in. Now, you can do that digitally as well. It's a little bit tougher, but if you actually have the cast and we can put in an analog into the cast because we have the guide, and then we can create a temporary restoration, you know, that's a nice service for the patient. So. Yeah, that's why I'll do that. Now, according to the Royal College, those are not casts that we have to keep, right? We only have to keep information in its original form, which is, in fact, scan. So that's what we have to keep for the 10-year time point. So, you know, just one of those little things. Otherwise, you've got so much stuff to store, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, one other question I was thinking about was, um, what are the are there limitations to the indications for CDCT using, let's say, Canada versus the U.S.? Like, are we more conservative with what we're allowed to use it for? Um, I think we use it for less than what the Americans do. The Americans will find all kinds of ways of using this. Um, they will uh, use it for uh, sleep apnea diagnosis, which I don't think it can actually do. You have to really read into it for that to happen. Okay, but uh, they're using it for all kinds of things. There's much less restriction down there. And what they're also doing is they've, they're able to make a, uh, a CBCT in a larger field. So they can do maxilla and mandible in one shot, where we have to do it actually in two CBCTs. So. That would actually be really nice because if we could have maxilla and mandible in one picture, we could overlay that with gingival, with soft tissue, with smile design, with all these other things 
And we could really make that work. But when we don't have that in one picture, at least in a regular practice, um, it's difficult to do. Radiologists and oral surgeons do have the larger uh, field of view. So if that's what you need, and if we need that for a particular case, we'll send that out. But in a regular office, they've limited us to a smaller field of view, which will do a full job. No problem. But it won't do top and bottom and allow us to do all these other funny things. So I still like being in Canada, though. Don't get me wrong. I still like being here. I guess um, our last question, our final question was, if you would have any advice to a new practice owner um, about CBCT, what would you say? There's something you wish you would have known any prior. If you're a new practice owner and if you're building your own practice, build in the space to accommodate it. It's virtually the same size as a panoramic machine. It's really no different. Uh, And I wouldn't waste my time with just a panoramic machine because the CBCTs do the same thing. So, you know, building an office today, uh, a reasonable sized office will will not cost you less than a million dollars. That's what will happen. Now, you'll, you'll go to the bank and you'll get the money and you'll do whatever it is that you have to do. It's just the way it is. But put in that CBCT to begin with, it's much simpler. We added it to our practice, which meant we had to take a piece of space. We had to tear it down. We had to rebuild it. We had to go through the lead linings and all the, you know, the OKs from the Ministry of Health and all that stuff. Do it to begin with. It just makes sense. Just do it. And, uh, and don't hold back. You know, it's one of those pieces of equipment you'll use for years and years. Um, yeah. It, and it, overall, it's not that expensive. You know, think of the price, and you know what a really good chair goes for these days? It goes for uh, retail price, $70,000, $80,000. You know, it's a really nice chair. You know, you can also buy real cheap ones, but that that's like the, you know, the Porsche of chairs kind of. Better be comfortable. <laughs> Actually, those really good chairs, they are so uncomfortable. It's un- unbelievable. But they have every single gadget you can think of. Uh, so it's remarkable. But our patients all complain that this is just not comfortable. So I, you sit in it and you go, yeah, it's not. It's not. So it's good to have a CBCT so you can get them out of the chair real quick. There you go. That's how it works. Get the legs moving at least. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure talking with you. Um, this is a really interesting format. I hope that people who listen to it enjoy it. Um, and if anyone wants to come and see how these things function in a busy practice, our door is always open. Um, and uh, I'll put through a, a not-so-shameless plug that we have a lot of CE that we do here. And as students, um, the CE is free. It's free. so. Look us up online and uh, join us either for the virtual or the hands-on programs. You're always welcome. Just identify yourself as students so we know how to so we know how to bill you. Okay. Thank you, thank you. We really appreciate that. Yeah, I was going to ask 
One more thing as well. We know that um, you're the founder of Build Your Smile Dental Foundation, and you do a lot of work in volunteerism um, for underserved communities. Is there anything um, you'd like to share with ourselves, our listeners, about that and talk a little bit um, about what you do there, if you wouldn't mind? Sure. You can always get me to talk about that stuff. Um, About uh, nine years ago, I started going to uh, Africa specifically Uganda, uh, to do dental work. And the concept was to go into these mountainous villages. that They don't have electricity. They don't have water. They don't have toilets. That's always a big one. And uh, we go in and we do dentistry. We bring in everything with us. The first few years, we just did extractions. We did preventive and occasional one-surface filling. Um, but a lot of extract. It was all extract. Imagine me, a prosthodontist, having to relearn how to do extraction. Okay. But it's fun. You know what? I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Um, then we started introducing other things to this population. And we went from uh, extractions and some preventive stuff, which basically means fluoride, to hygiene, uh, to restorative. Um, then we said, why don't we make dentures? So we started making same day dentures in these villages. And then we increased it to doing implants as well. So we actually do implants in the field. These are not operating rooms. We'll work out of a schoolhouse that has no floor or maybe out of a church. And the last trip that we took was right before COVID. On that trip, I think we placed some 20 implants. We restored 10 of them that we had made impressions of on the trip before. So the implant concept has really taken off over there. You think, wow, that's a little crazy. Implants in the the mountain villages of Uganda? Well, you know, in that culture, if you're missing a tooth, if you're missing a front tooth, you can't get married. And many times you can't have a job. They won't hire you. It's it's really, it's, it's incredible. And here come the Canadians with all these ways of doing things. And again, we started with dentures and we moved to implants. We'll produce in, in the period of, uh, you know, seven clinical days, we'll produce 130 dentures. And we've come up with ways of doing it using a light cure method. And it's really remarkable. And uh, earlier today, I was speaking to our guy in Uganda because we're setting up a foundation office in Uganda. There's a big need for this kind of work. We've set up foundation office down the U.S. as well, where it's treating a, um, a Latino population in North Carolina with extensions to Mexico. So this whole idea has really, uh, it's, it's on fire, if you will. Um, the best way to find out more about it is to go to buildyoursmile.org. And that's our website for the foundation. Um, and you'll see some of the pictures. You'll understand what we do. There's a lot of nuances to it, but it's a two-week trip that, uh, that changes your life. It really changes your life. We're doing a lot of work now locally because for a year and a half, we can't go anywhere. So we're treating a lot of indigenous groups now. So believe it or not, Southern Ontario has a lot of indigenous groups. And they don't get the care that they really need. 
and they sort of fall between the cracks. And I'm not sure how we originally got introduced to them, but it's a wonderful population that needs our help. So, again, um, Build Your Smile Dental Foundation will treat whoever needs support. Um, we have women's shelters that we treat. Uh, it's all done here in the office. And what's really cool is we have three grant recipients in Uganda where we're paying for all of their education uh, through their three years of training to be a dental officer. And uh, so we're paying for the whole shot so that they can increase their local population of um, dental officers. They, of course, have to promise to come and volunteer with us whenever we go there. Um, but these are things that you just have to do. And you'll find that you're going to work really, really hard when you get out of school. You think school is tough? Wait, you're going to enjoy yourself when you get out of school. But it's for a different purpose. And when you start combining it with these kind of things, um, it's, it, it's amazing. It really is. So I encourage you to, to check out the website. Um, if there are people who are interested, please contact me. Um, it's an awesome experience. And you do amazing, amazing work. So, yes, for sure. Thank you. Uh, I know among uh, our colleagues here, this is something we all are very excited about. And I think, you know, feels like at least 50% of the reason why we're here in dentistry and um, learning about foundations like yours. That's, that's the stuff that we're here for. So, um, thank you for sharing that with us, and I'm sure we will follow up. Absolutely. By all means, contact us. We have student groups in different universities, and uh, there's lots of ways of making this happen. And it's, it's not difficult. It's easy. Okay? Well, Dr. Marjley, thank you. It's been a, a pleasure uh, talking with you and having you here with us. And um, I think you gave us a lot of insight about CBCT that, you know, first, second, third, and fourth years are just starting to understand. Um, and so I'd like to end by saying that if anyone is interested in learning more, we'll be including a link in our Spotify episode description, as well as our On the Cusp page on the Debbie website. Um, so thank you again. <laughs> it's a pleasure talking with you. And uh, yeah, keep on doing this good kind of stuff. Keep on doing it. Thank you.